Welcome to the Fringe Element, live from Atlanta, SEC Media Days. Day number two, of course, we had Alabama, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on Twitter, at Braden Gall. Lots of great interviews for you on the YouTube page, so make sure you go over there, 440 Sports, subscribe, all that great stuff. we got all the interviews you, you hear today on the show. John Talty from AL.com talking Nick Saban and NIL. Had a conversation with Richard Johnson of Sports Illustrated as well as the Split Zone Duo, one of my favorite guests we've ever had. So make sure you go check that out. If you want to watch any of this stuff, make sure you go check it out, of course, uh, over on the YouTube page as well. You're going to hear from Will Anderson and, got, and, of course, Ben Portnoy of the state covering South Carolina as uh, – listen, I, I'm going to start with Will Anderson because I still think the players are the best part. But a lot of fun stuff here. Vanderbilt named a starting quarterback, so we actually had a piece of news on day number two, so we've got a lot of stuff to get to today on the show. But of course, our title sponsor, remember J.E. Dunn. This is a family first, you know, 2022 best place to work in all of America. J.E. Dunn Construction, $5 billion in annual revenue, and they have offices across the Southeast, so you college football fans, you SEC fans, I'm telling you guys, like, you do not need any experience or background in construction. Uh, honestly, it is an extraordinary company. It is quite amazing what you can get accomplished and how happy you can be when your boss actually cares about you, invests in you, and makes sure that you are fulfilled, and again... Happy and healthy employees are productive and efficient employees, and it is good for business, and J.E. Dunn knows that, which is why they invest in you, the worker. So go check it out, jedunn.com. All right, so let's hear from Will Anderson. Now, name, image, and likeness was a big topic for Nick Saban. He said that his team, his players, made $3 million last year at Media Day, so that might be a bit of news, although I think he's mentioned it in the past. He said Alabama's doing just fine, better than everybody else. So it's it's just interesting with the backdrop of everything that's happened with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. But I think it's worth noting that Will Anderson had kind of stayed out of the fray of name, image, and likeness, but no longer. And this was one of his comments when he was asked about working in the name, image, and likeness space. And he explained why he didn't and what he's doing now about it. Um, I don't really know too much about the NIL. I just know that the deals I get, I get some money to help me and my family. <laughs> You know, I've been um, I've been doing NIL deals. I know during the season, I told you guys I wasn't going to be doing any NIL deals, but um, I actually just started my own brand. It's called Eight Three Athlete. Um, it's I take control over my own brand. You know, with the whole NIL thing, you know, it was kind of overwhelming at first because you don't know a lot of the verbiage and terminology when it comes to deals. So with this Eight um, Three Athlete. It's going to help players such as myself and younger players under me, you know, come together with my advisory team or with people on my team and, you know, help go over contracts, help go over those different things to take the load off of you and your family, you know, to read over, you know, everything that's going on. So it's been great. And, you know, it's called A3 Athletes. So if any athletes are listening out there, I should look into it. That was Will Anderson, the best defensive player in all of college football for Alabama, talking about how, you know what, this name, image, and likeness thing, it's very complicated, it's very difficult, it's very nuanced, it's very tricky, there's a lot of crazy stuff involved in it, and Nick Saban talked about this on Tuesday as well. Looking out for the athlete's best interest is going to be critical moving forward. So is transparency, and so is uniformity with regulation. That's what Greg Sankey has talked about. That is really what Jimbo and Nick were agreeing on through all summer. But that is the key here. And Will Anderson, he decides, you know what? I'm just going to start a company that helps athletes manage and navigate this space, which a lot of athletes are doing. 
but <laughs> I just I find it fascinating to to hear BJ Ojolari of LSU talking about journalism to to hear the you know Bar- Bannister, a guy that started out as no offers in the SEC, an Arkansas fan, ends up a, a walk on senior representing Mizzou, and Will Anderson, of course, starting a company to help athletes. These are the best people and the best stories at SEC Media Days. Sure, we're going to argue about order of finish in the West and the East, but the players are absolutely the best and. Just wrapping up the Alabama part of this conversation, they are the overwhelming favorite to win everything, the the West, the SEC, and the national championship. And I think Nick Saban is very confident about his football team. I think you're going to hear a lot of that over the course of the season. But he was fairly subdued. No bully pulpit, no big issue. He talked a little bit about, again, name, image, and likeness regulation, transparency. And and we talked with John Talty about this, so you're going to hear some of this from, from John, AL.com, about how he wants it all to be balanced and to be even but and to have parity, but he's sort of part of the problem. So um, it, it was really interesting. Again, it, Alabama Day is just not the same in Atlanta than it is in Birmingham. It's just not. It's different. It's there's only a handful of people dressed like complete weirdos in the lobby. It's it's not crowded and packed and slammed in like it is at the Winfrey Hotel in Birmingham. It's just not the same event. Uh, it'll be curious to, to see what Georgia looks like. But it just seems that over the first two days, through two days, the entire event has just been kind of underwhelming from an energy standpoint. And I don't know if the players are, are just you know more polished and the coaches have nothing to say and there's not a whole lot of news. We'll get to Vanderbilt naming a starting quarterback in just a minute. But it, it's just kind of been a more subdued atmosphere, and, and you'll hear that from all these folks. So before we get to Mike Wright being named the starting quarterback for the Vanderbilt Commodores, before we talk Shane Beamer, Ben Portnoy's going to join us, Richard Johnson's going to join us, before we talk Mike Leach and what he talked about today, uh, let's get to John Talty from AL.com, of course. He, he's a new author for uh, a leadership book about Nick Saban. We'll talk about that, but we also talked a lot about Saban, the name, image, and likeness situation, uniformity, parity in college football, and oh, by the way, who could Alabama actually lose to? Here was my conversation with AL.com's John Talty. Day number two here at SEC Media Days, of course, Nick Saban Day, and I am with John Talty of AL.com, of course, also an author, the book, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Uh, our conversation, of course, today brought to you by J.E. Dunn right here, one of the top 100 places to work in the United States, 2022 best place to work, industry-leading benefits. Check them out, jedunn.com. All right. So, uh, Nick Saban, what was his actual message today, day number two? What, what was he really saying, John? Interpret. Yeah, I'll give you the Saban whisperer interpretation here. I mean, I think there was a lot of stuff aimed at, you know, recruits with the NIL stuff. I feel like he felt, you can tell he feels confident about his team, the way he talked. He almost, you know, a little robotic, but like almost trying to downplay a little bit, which I think if you know him, it's kind of like, oh, he has something good here where he's trying to do that. Talked a lot about leadership, which I think that's probably one of the key things he wants to make sure that his team is in the right place with all the hype and attention that they're going to get. But, I mean, I saw a guy who was pretty confident, um, pretty pretty tame, I would say. We didn't get a fiery save or anything like that. You know, he was pretty pretty mild-mannered today, but you could tell he feels good about this team. Yeah, no Cam Robinson arrest stories to talk about. Generally, when he's like that, and it means we probably could get some outbursts later on in the season because last year he was so kid glove with this team. I, I thought that that was because he knew he didn't have a, a strong mental team. Now it feels like he's got one of the best teams I mean, maybe one of the best teams he's ever had. He did touch a little bit about, about having Bryce Young and Will Anderson, that he's never really had anything like that. Yeah, I mean, last year it was a challenge for him all year. I don't think he really knew how to handle that team because there are the usual things that he would do. You know, if you know Saban well, 
after like a big win, he's going to try to tear them down a little bit to keep their egos in check. And when after a loss, he's going to try to build them up. And it felt like all year round, he was just trying to build them up. He could just tell that they were not confident, not in the place they needed to be. He had to keep building them up, building them up. And I think this year is going to be different. I think we're going to see more classic Saban because you've got a guy who won the Heisman last year. You've got the best defensive player in the country. You know, he's going to have to keep those guys in check because everybody's going to pick him to win the national championship. So I think you're seeing some of the early groundwork for that. Um, but, you, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty incredible spot to be in to have – I mean, I would argue the two best players in the country both coming back for you. And so this is the year that – I mean, the expectations are here because both those guys will be gone after this year. If you had him with some truth serum and you inject him – is, is it offensive line? Like, what is the – on the field, like, I feel like I don't even have a question to ask because they're so clearly the best team. What, where is it that you think he is most focused on building his roster in terms of concerns about, I don't know, Ohio State, Georgia? Because that's, that's who he needs to worry about. And I think he hit on it a little bit was the offensive line. I think that's the place that I would lock into because he did mention, like, no matter how good the quarterback is, if you're not surrounded by the right people, you know, you could have problems. So, they, you know, they – uh, dipped into the transfer portal to try to fix that problem. It was up and down all year last year. You know, think about that, that offensive line against Auburn was a mess. And then against Georgia, it looked amazing. And it was like, wow, they figured it out. But, I mean, it was up and down all year round. And so that's going to be, I think, the big question is, like, you know, can they pull it together when they do have to play a team like Ohio State or, you know, some of the other teams, Georgia, if they play in the SEC championship game, could give them some problems. Obviously did last year in the national championship game. So there's some teams that could potentially be a challenge. But, I mean, it's like – it's like picking a nit on like a, a supermodel you know it's kind of like yeah we can all find a tiny little flaw but like big picture wise like it's pretty good you know she's too tall john she's too tall um all right so then let's let's first of all bryce young and will anderson and and, and uh battle as well what is there anything that people don't know about these guys that because again i always find the players to be the most interesting part of this this event bj Ojolari, incredibly thoughtful you know you got the the banister kid for arkansas who's like the epitome of what a, a college athlete's all supposed to be about going from walk-on who nobody cared about to now being a senior representing his school it, like these guys are so overcovered. is there anything about bryce and will in particular that people don't actually know I mean, it's, like you said, they've they've been so written about over the you know over the years. You know, Bryce had a podcast last year, so he talked plenty about that. I mean, I find Will Anderson to be fascinating. I think he's a great kid. I think he's really interesting. You know, last year had lots of opportunities to do NIL, didn't do any of it. You know, it was just like I don't want to deal with this. I think he's cashing in a bit this year, but I think he's a fascinating guy. Uh, I mean, Jordan Battle. Uh, Famously was the one who you know, revealed the Nick Saban D's nuts joke. So he's got a good sense of humor to him. Um, he's a fun guy. I'm curious to see what he'll say out here today. I think he can have some fun with people. But I mean, all three are super thoughtful guys, and they're all really good too. You know, it's a great combination of intelligence and you know play on the field. All right. Well, you led me right into the the NIL stuff and the money, and, and he certainly got his question from the Washington Post today about that. And um, I, I don't know. It felt like it was a slightly different tune a little bit like it felt obviously in a booster setting like that 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 all that nonsense was is, is a very different audience but it does feel like he, he he wants regulation he wants uniformity he wants transparency he he voices that he's concerned about the game I think we all are we'll go we'll get to mega conferences in a second but it, it felt a little bit more like I'm just going to kind of toe the line here and then say oh by the way we've our players have done better than everybody else we've made three million dollars like it does it feel like different at all from what he was saying in the summer at all for what he said on Tuesday? 
I think he's learned probably through trial and error what he can and can't say. I mean, he's obviously World Games was where he had his most explosive comments, um, which we all you know know about. Um, and but he's had I feel like throughout the spring and summer he's been hitting similar points. He's tweaked it. I think the message over time. I think the three million dollars thing doesn't surprise me at all about Saban. It, you go back a year ago when Saban, you know, kind of casually reveals that Bryce Young had already made a million dollars nil. And it's always aimed at recruiting. You know, I don't think he did. He doesn't do anything really by accident. I think he was very clear by saying, you know, yeah, you know, I see some problems with it, but by the way, we do it better than anybody. Like that's a message to everyone. Like we're going to take care of you if you come here. So that's part of it. But some of his message, it, I feel like it's a little fuzzy to me. He keeps bringing up the parody thing, which doesn't make sense to me, because and I write about this. You know, a little plug for you here on the book. I write about this in the book. One of the big reasons why he left the NFL was because of part of the parity problem. He was frustrated by the fact that the better my team is, the worse players I get, which doesn't make sense. And he was like, if I go to college, I can recruit five first-rounders every year. Like, that's why he likes college football. So complaining about the parity is a little – doesn't really ring true to me. But I don't know. He's been pushing that message all summer. No, I, I completely agree. And the very first time he said something like the, the day before the Jimbo stuff happened, and it was all about like – you know, everything in college football needs to be balanced, and this is, there's not, a, you know, and then he mentioned like scholarship limitations, which he's right. It's all technically the same. But then he mentioned like healthcare and a few other things. This was, I think, was with Feinbaum at the golf tournament. And I just, it struck me as like completely tone deaf to the fact that Alabama has as many resources as anybody else, if not more, and that he benefits from outworking everybody, which he, he likes and makes sense. But at the same time, you can't want that system. And then also, complain about the fact that super conferences are going to leave teams behind or NIL is not transparent and equal. I, I'm with you. I feel like it's a little it's a little tone deaf for the existence of college football writ large, if that, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think, and I, I mean, if you take uh, Saban at, from a genuine standpoint, I think, like, I think he believes what he's saying, but it's just like sometimes it's not the message, it's the messenger. And so being the head coach of a guy who's dominated the sport like anybody, like, like no one else, and like you said, I mean, they've they were, you know, one of the early people part of the facilities arms race. I remember they had like the early waterfall, and everybody couldn't believe how ostentatious it was, and all that. And so Saban's benefited a lot from the investment that Alabama's had in it. But I think if you made him, that message was coming from Nick Saban, the football czar. It might make more sense. You'd be like, ah, right, yeah, that's true. Like there are some issues, and like I do think he cares a lot about the future of the sport. And I don't necessarily disagree with some of what he's. I don't necessarily disagree with some of what he's saying. In that, you know, if we go to two twenty you know team leagues like is that good for the sport I don't think it probably is and so I think he's making fair points but like you said the fact that he has benefited the most probably from some of those rules it makes it a little like eh, I don't know if, if it's real you know I mean I, I totally agree with everything you're saying the question is would he ever change because we know what he's his value is why he wins and again read it in the book uh, why he wins is how he executes his life every day it's what make like he wants the system to be equal so that then he can outwork everybody, which, which, which is, hey, that's life, man. That's capitalism. But if he were to, if somebody would ever ask him or if you were to ask him and say, look, what happens if you change the rules and step back and create a salary cap or create spending on facilities or create a recruiting budget or time spent on the road or, you know, whatever the thing could be or become a, a president of NCAA football instead of a football coach to, the, to then create that parity? I don't have... 
he's too much of a competitor, right? Like, there's no chance he does that stuff. Well, I feel like he would find a way to still make it work for him, you know? Like, so you've seen some, I mean, you think about this classic Saban rule, you know, they changed the rules because of how much he was going out uh, on the trail, you know, as a head coach, and other head coaches didn't want to do it, so they changed the rules. So he's like, all right, he was an early adopter to doing video conferencing with recruits, and other guys weren't doing that. So he was well set up for the Zoom FaceTime era. So I think he would adjust if he had to, um, I think it would be interesting if it was like if you limited how many hours you could work a day. That might be kind of like, all right, like what am I supposed to do? You know, now that might be the the tough one for him to do. But I mean, I think I will say he's pretty good at adapting big picture wise. You know, he's had a couple things go against his way of how he wanted them to play out, and he adjusted to find a way to make it work for him. So I think he would be able to do that. But I mean, a salary cap would be interesting. You know, if that ever happened. Um, and I think he, one of the things that is core that I think he's worried about. He's so built on a meritocracy within his team. You know, he doesn't want any one guy feeling like he's better than the others. And so I think the fear is always, if this guy's making $2 million a year and this guy's making nothing, how do I get those, both those guys to buy in the same way? And Bryce, I think, is well-suited to be able to do that, but not every guy is going to be able to do that. And so I think that's where a lot of his fear comes from, is that like this is going to rip teams apart where you got guys at different levels. That makes total sense. John Talty, of course, AL.com. Follow him on the Twitters, the .com. The book, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Go check it out. It's on newsstands, right? You can go buy it. Or, it comes or, out in three weeks. comes out in three weeks. There August you go. 9th. August 9th. Go order. Go pre-order it anywhere you get your books. Hopefully a smaller bookstore, but you can order it anywhere you want. Um, John Talty, of course. All the coverage today from SEC Media Day is brought to you by J.E. Dunn, one of the top 100 employers in America. So go check them out. Last question for you. At Arkansas, at Tennessee, what is the only? What's the game you are most worried about if you're an Alabama fan? Does it have to be on the road or can be at home? It can, it can be anywhere. I mean, A and M is not going to beat them. I'm telling you right now, and you know that. No, they're not. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I, I mean, I would have said Ole Miss, but like. We already saw what happened last year at Ole Miss. Lane will get in his head. He'll spend too many hours coming up with weird plays that won't work. You know, um, They're not going to lose to A&M. I feel pretty good about that. I mean, SC Championship, we'll see who's there. You know, Maybe maybe that's where it is. I mean, I don't So 12-0, so oh, you're taking 11 and a half, you're taking the over. Yeah, I'm taking the over right now. Yeah. All right, there you have it. That was John Talty, of course. Uh, the Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban is the book, AL.com. Go check it out. Yeah, I do find it interesting that Nick Saban talks out of both sides of his mouth. He, he wants the parity, and he wants the balance so that he can then dominate everybody else. So uh, Alabama will be, again, your overwhelming favorite to win everything, the West, the SEC, and the National Championship. They have the best offensive and defensive players in America, and Saban even talked a little bit about that on Tuesday, that it's a pretty rare situation even for him. And they're coming off losing a national championship, so I guess everyone else in the SEC and around the country, beware of the Crimson Tide. Not that anyone needs that advice. Before we get to Shane Beamer, Ben Portnoy, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Richard Johnson, uh, wrapping up Alabama and, and the morning session was Clark Lee and the Vanderbilt Commodores. Now, number one, they made news, which was cool. He announced that Mike Wright is going to be the starting quarterback for for Vandy. He, he's been battling Ken Seals. I watched them practice during spring. Ken Seals has always had the better arm. Mike Wright is clearly the better player, the better leader, the more athletic player. Uh, and is and, and, he, and he had an interesting shot at Tennessee. Calls them that orange school, which I thought that was, that was kind of funny. Um, but here's the thing about Clark Lee. I, I, I really, truly believe – Kind of like with Lane Kiffin being potentially odd and weird in like group settings and social anxiety and all this other stuff that, again, I'm making assumptions about. 
I, I think Clark Lee, what's interesting about Clark Lee is I think one-on-one, his leadership style, even inside of a program, his leadership structure and his plan to organize, to tear down and then build back up again, um, I think it's all really sound and really savvy and really smart. And I think it, it's a, there's a chance it's going to work. Um, the problem is, is that he doesn't step to the podium, especially after Alabama and Nick Saban are there. The SEC didn't do Vanderbilt any favors by putting Clark Lee on right after Nick Saban. So the most energy in the biggest room you're ever going to be in is followed up by a guy that, let's face it, isn't particularly charismatic when he steps to the podium. He is reading the leadership script that he has written, and it is not, sometimes it just doesn't land. And so while I agree with his style and his approach and what he's actually saying, the substance, I don't think that it lands. I don't think it gets across. And the air and the vacuum that left the room on Tuesday when he took the podium, unfortunately, it was just way too obvious after Nick Saban leaves, who honestly didn't say a whole lot and wasn't all that charismatic either, that it's just Nick Saban and the energy's different. And then, you know, Clark Lee steps up there and reads his, his PowerPoint presentation, and it just doesn't land. He basically said that Vanderbilt wants to be, is going to be, when he's done, the best program in the country. And I know what he means by that. Great degree, great location, great place to live, best conference in America. Like, I see what he's trying to say, but it just comes off strange when he says it that way. And it's very robotic. And again, I think it probably works one-on-one. It probably works in the locker room. It probably works with parents on the recruiting trail. It is just very strange and very bizarre um, when it comes to, you know, getting up in front of a group of people and trying to inspire. It's just, it's very odd. So, especially following Saban, uh, it's very interesting. Who, of course, commands a room unlike anybody in all of college football today. All right, let's get to South Carolina. Shane Beamer was there. Uh, This is a guy who's we've had on the show recently, so go back and check that interview out. Extremely charismatic, the exact opposite as he's going viral on TikTok before he even shows up to the event. He's the exact opposite of Clark Lee when it comes to all of the the stuff. The question is, what about – is the substance real? Like, that's the question. Now, if you look at the players – uh, to carry on Joyner, you know, basically said Shane Beamer sh- saved his career. Um, th- there's a lot there there when it comes to caring about his players. I think the players understand exactly what Shane Beamer is trying to do. I-, I don't know if it is sustainable and it leads to victory, success, growth, seven or eight wins. I'm just not sure. Um, so because I'm not sure, we had Ben Portnoy on the show. He is of the state. He works for the state.com, covering South Carolina. We talked to him about Spencer Rattler. We talked to him about sustainability with this particular program and Shane Beamer. We talked about a whole lot of stuff, had a chance to catch up with him. Here was my conversation with the state's Ben Portnoy. SEC Media Days, day number two, South Carolina. Ben Portnoy here with us from the state. Of course, our title sponsor, J.E. Dunn, top 100 healthiest place to work in America. doesn't matter about your experience. If you want to change careers, $5 billion in annual revenue, offices all across the Southeast. Great folks. Actually care about their employees, which is what I'm going to talk to you about because that's what Shane Beamer is building his culture on at South Carolina. Overachieving last year, does he have the pieces to do it again this year? I think they do. I mean, you look at on paper what this team brings back. You bring back an offensive line that wasn't good, but you do bring back everyone, so there's some continuity there. You've added some transfer pieces offensively. You add Spencer Rattler. That's obviously the big name. Defensively, you bring back, I think, seven starters from last year's team. Cam Smith at corner. He's going to play a little bit of nickel, too. But, like, he's a guy that I think can be a first-round pick next year. He's that kind of good. you got some talent on the defensive line. 
the entire coaching staff is back again outside of two guys who are you replaced with the at tight ends coach uh, Jody Wright and then defensive line Sterling Lucas who I, a lot of people are really high on both those guys I think this program's in the right spot to take a step forward now the SEC East is wide open and I think it just kind of depends where you know who do you see rising to the top, right? A lot of people think Tennessee. A lot of people think Kentucky. A lot of people think South Carolina. Uh, you know, Florida falls in that category. And just, you know, as, as messy as things could be at Florida, the baseline is still higher than most programs, right? You're still going to have a lot of talent. So can South Carolina jump ahead of those teams? I'm not sold on it yet, but I do think they're in a really good spot to be able to capitalize on what they've brought in over the offseason. Well, and what's interesting about Spencer Rattler, uh, as we are here in the country music hall or the country music, the College Football Hall of Fame here, uh, media people everywhere talking. Um, I, what I think is interesting about Spencer Rattler, and I had a chance to talk to Shane about this, the adversity he faced at Oklahoma is what he thinks is going to prepare him to deal with tougher schedules, tougher defense, tougher, you know, everything in the SEC East is going to be tougher than what he faced in Oklahoma. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that you know. Everything that's gone on at Oklahoma is pretty well documented, right? Things didn't work out. Caleb Williams comes in. Obviously, Caleb Williams lit the world on fire, and we see what he's been in the time since. I think, like, that's the thing that's so hard to judge with this team, and frankly, with Spencer Rattler, too, and it's what makes it such a mystery is because if you get the 2020 version of Spencer Rattler, I think it's pretty easy to say South Carolina can be the second or third best team in the East. Like, that, he's that kind of good. That's a different conversation. But if he looks closer to what he was last year, this team's probably somewhere in the middle of the East. And I, I think that's why it, you know, not that the entire season hinges on Spencer Rattler, but it does in a big way. And like you said, with that adversity or, you know, whatever you want to, however, you know, the program wants to phrase it, like he's a guy who's been through a lot. He's dealt with a lot of scrutiny since he was a high schooler. I, I think like the idea of him being stuck in, you know, the SEC East and all the cameras and the lights and the action, it's sort of like he's been through it on some level. I, I mean, it's obviously a little different, but I think that at the same time, like, He's positioned to be able to mitigate those things and handle those things. And I think that, you know, if you're South Carolina, I mean, this is not a program that's had a lot of really good quarterbacks. I mean, Connor, you know, Connor Shaw and Steven Garcia in the you know, last 15 years. But outside of that, like Steve Tannehill, Phil Petty, I mean, you've had some guys. It's just it's it, I mean, Connor Shaw, I think, is the most underrated quarterback in the history of the SEC, the history of the SEC up there. But like the point is, like, you're not you could look back 100 years and you could pick four guys that have quarterbacked at South Carolina that you think, oh, yeah, that guy was good, right? And, and I think that that's what's, why it's so interesting on paper is that you've got a guy in Spencer Rattler who genuinely is is probably the most talented quarterback that South Carolina has ever had. Now, does that shake out to, you know, 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns? Maybe not. It might be, you know, 2,500 yards and 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. I mean, we just don't know. But it, it's why this team, like I said, is so hard to peg right now in the offseason. So – Fans and their relationship with him and, and the recruiting, we know he was on the staff previously and did a great job with all those in-state kids. Some of that was just dumb luck. Uh, they all came out at the same time. Some of that was Clemson was down, Georgia was down, you know, whatever. And, and they did a great job, and he was part of that. Are, have fans bought into all of the stuff that, 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 you know, that led to the six wins? Are, are they excited? Are they happy about where they're at? Do they, do they think it was you know, hey, they caught Auburn at the right time, they caught Florida at the right time, they could have lost to Vanderbilt. Like, where are the fans at with him, and then how is it being felt on the recruiting trail? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, depending on who you ask, folks will say, you know, oh, they should have beaten Kentucky where the offense was really bad, or, you know, they had chances against, uh, you know, Tennessee early in the game. They probably should have beaten Missouri, but then you flip it on its head, and it's like, like you said, you know, 
you're basically a play away from losing to Vanderbilt. You're about two plays away from losing to East Carolina. Like, this team could have been anywhere from really a four-win team to a nine-win team, and there was about this much space in between. So, you know, I think folks are excited, and I think there's been – it's been a little bit overhyped. Like, I'm not ready to say that the South Carolina team is going to go win nine games, but I think that it's fair to be excited because the reality is when you look at the baseline of what South Carolina was last year, this team is – definitely 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 more talented on paper than it was and I don't I, I don't think that's a question like you look at the transfers that South Carolina's brought in whether it's Spencer Rattler Austin Stogner I, I think Juice Wells at receiver from James Madison I, I've said it all week he's the kind of guy that I think if you look up at the end of the season and he's a second team all SEC guy like he's that kind of good and, and this team thinks that he can be that kind of good throw in the guys you bring back and Jaheim Bell who people think could be a first round pick next year at tight end you got a guy in Christian Beal Smith at Wake Forest transfer at running back. I mean, you, you've got guys and just a lot of pieces that you didn't have a year ago. And, and Shane was talking about it today and that, you know, you went from last year kind of figuring out, okay, who are we going to put on the field to, okay, how are we going to get all of these guys on the field and get them the ball? And that's a totally different dynamic. And it's obviously a good problem to have, but I think fans are excited. I think there's, I think expectations have jumped a little bit because when you do overachieve, you worry, do you overstep a little bit and think hey you know these things aren't linear yep. but I think that South Carolina is positioned to take advantage of that now whether that shows in the win column or not is sort of TBD so what happens if they are clearly a better football team like clearly a better football team but five and seven or six and six how do the do the, uh, do the fans understand that process or is this the SEC we're talking about here I, like I think people will probably be annoyed if they go and win six games or something I think that that's which is crazy but you know the thing to me is and I've said this you know for a couple of months is just like if you're South Carolina success to you probably this year is you go and win seven games you give your chance at an eighth and you look better in the games you lose right you know you look at last year and I kind of mentioned a minute ago but like you got run off the field by Tennessee you got run off the field by Clemson you know that can't happen again now that said, if you look competitive in those games, those games get into the fourth quarter, you're playing one score games. That's one thing I think a lot of people can forgive that. But you got a lot of games that kind of hinge on that and that, you know, you get Tennessee at home. Does that help the situation a little bit? You're at Arkansas week two. Like, that's the game I circle and say, hey, if you win this game, that's the one where you go, okay, can they win eight or nine games? Can they win six or seven? So it's just there's a lot of moving pieces to it. But I, I think folks would probably be annoyed with another six-win season. But I think <laughs> – which is crazy because, you know, look at South Carolina's history, right? Like, this, there's not that much bowl history, right? South Carolina won its first bowl game in, what, 1987? Like, that's not that – long ago in the grand scheme of college football but uh, I think that that's sort of the interesting piece of it is that I think that South Carolina could have a similar record this year but there could be a lot of progress made even if it doesn't necessarily reflect in the sort of win-loss column. I, I think that makes complete sense of course all our coverage this week on Fringe Element of course 440 Sports brought to you by J.E. Dunn again 2022 voted best place to work so if you want to change careers and be fulfilled in life go check out jedunn.com. Ben tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah just at thestate.com or at bportnoy15 on Twitter and uh, yeah I'll be here all week so should be fun. That was Ben Portnoy of the state covering South Carolina. And what I do find really interesting, just personally, my own feelings and, and judgments about South Carolina, is that there's so much hype around this team and there's so many people saying so many positive things, in particular about Spencer Rattler. You just heard it there, and I agree with, with everybody that, you know, like Ben, I think it's very obvious that Rattler is by far the most talented quarterback that maybe South Carolina has ever had. And so while I think, you know, after six wins in the regular season, that there's reasons for lots of optimism, Shane Beamer's getting people to buy in, they're ahead of schedule, all that stuff. Like, I find myself also buying in to believing that South Carolina is closer to Kentucky, Tennessee, and maybe Florida than they are 
Missouri on the bottom of the SEC East. And I can't honestly tell why that's happening. I, I don't see the depth chart. I don't see the, the raw talent. There's some nice pieces there, you know, in the receiving group. The tight ends are nice. That You know, is the offensive line better? The quarterback is re- could be really good. I, I just – the schedule's hard. I don't – I just don't know th- what the substance is that people are buying into. But I am finding myself, especially having talked to Shane and been around South Carolina people, that all of a sudden, like, I'm starting to buy into it as well. And is that the sales pitch? Is that the recruiting thing? Or, or is there more there there? And I, I just honestly, I do not know. Um, so many teams, we're going to talk about this with Mississippi State as well, even though I, I feel comfortable knowing a little bit more about what Mississippi State is. I just don't know. I don't know what South Carolina is, and I don't know if I should be buying into the hype. My instinct is that they are going to be a better football team, but finish exactly the same at 5-7 five, five and seven or 6-6, six and six, and that fans won't be necessarily all that excited about it. You're going to hear from Richard Johnson from Sports Illustrated in just a moment. Split Zone Duo as well. And I will give you my final media predictions, of course, my ballot on where I will have Alabama, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and South Carolina on my official ballot when I fill that out this week here in Atlanta. But Mike Leach talked on Tuesday. And and here's the thing. like He's an interesting dude. We kind of know what he is. He's been a head coach for a very long time. He talked about Netflix ad nauseum, even though he says he doesn't watch television. Like He's just an odd and interesting dude. He brought three graduate seniors, which is totally on brand for Mike Leach. But here's the difference between Mike Leach and South Carolina, for example, Mississippi State and South Carolina. I know, I feel very comfortable with what I think Mississippi State is going to be. A very good offensive football team that's going to throw it all over the yard with a third-year starting quarterback who threw for almost 5,000 yards in Will Rogers, with a head coach who knows exactly what he's doing, a defensive coordinator that I think very highly of with Zach Arnett, and a defense that's returning a whole lot of talent. And Mississippi State has to play a really, really, really difficult schedule with Georgia and Kentucky in their crossover, which could be first and second place teams in the SEC East. So while Mississippi State doesn't feel like they're getting enough coverage. 17 returning starters, a superstar quarterback, and a coach that knows exactly what he's doing. It feels almost unfair that people are not giving Mississippi State enough credit. I think this is a very dangerous team. I have pointed out I think they can beat Georgia at home in November. I think they're going to be very dangerous in the SEC West. If they had an easier schedule and did not have Georgia on their schedule, this team could absolutely be picked to finish second or third in the West. I, I, that's how good this team could be. The question is, can they survive the gauntlet of the SEC West and Georgia all packaged together into one thing? And I just don't know if they can. I, I don't know if they can. I have nothing but respect for Mike Leach. I think they're going to win a bunch of games they're not supposed to. Maybe they lose a couple of games they're not supposed to. But I didn't see anything on media days on Tuesday that changed my opinion of Mississippi State. I have talked to a lot of people. Nothing has changed my opinion on Mississippi State. I think they're a very good football team. They're going to win at least seven or eight games. I would like the over on this team if I was going to Vegas and putting money down. I just think they're a really good team. And, and, I, and I thought that coming in, and everything I've heard and everybody I've talked to since being here in Atlanta has convinced me that this team is being undervalued and that they are exactly as good as I think they're going to be. It feels like people like Ole Miss better. They like Arkansas better. Some people like LSU better. I'm not on board with that. I, I think Mississippi State might be the second or third best team in the division. I just don't know if they're good enough to get through that schedule. 
All right, our last interview today on the show before I get to my official predictions on these four teams on day number two, Richard Johnson of Sports Illustrated, Split Zone Duo, occasionally on ESPN as well. One of my, one of the best guys in the business, uh, one of my favorites as far as following, reading, tracking, watching, consuming. He, he's one of the best in the business. Again, how many places can a guy talk about Congress and name, image, and likeness and Georgia's defense and the college football playoff and all make it sound incredibly smart. So without any more from me, we'll get to my predictions after the interview. Uh, but here was my conversation with SI's Richard Johnson. SEC Media Days, day number two, of course, brought to you by our great friends, J.E. Dunn. That's right, top 100 place to work in America, voted 2022 best place to work, healthiest place to work, RJ, if you didn't know that. One of the healthiest places to work. So if you're looking to change a career and you want to be fulfilled, imagine this, a boss who actually likes you and appreciates you and wants you to be healthy and productive, go to jedunn.com, check it out. They're, they're the ones providing all this awesome content for you. This is RJ, Richard Johnson, of course, with Sports Illustrated, Split Zone Duo, SEC Network. You can catch them all over the place, basically everywhere, all over the Twitter sphere and the dot-com. Um, first and foremost, just... Is this a more subdued, we're only a couple of days in, but it feels like this has been a more subdued media event. I don't know how many you've been to. I know you've been around a long time, but what's your general takeaway from the event so far in terms of energy levels? Yeah, you know, I, I think the Atlanta factor, obviously it's easier for someone like me to get to coming right from New York City. But, you know, it may be a little bit harder for some of the teams out or the, you know, the outlets out west to get out here or something like that. So maybe that plays a little bit into it. Um, you know, if we're in Birmingham, obviously you have a much more Alabama-centric kind of focus. I, I think, you know, t this morning was Alabama Day, and it, there were there were folks here, but, yeah, it was a little bit more subdued than it would be if it was in the Winfrey uh, in that lobby. But, you know, still a good event, still good to be here, still a sure sign that football is tangibly right around the corner. That made my whole entire day just hearing you say that. So if you get all these guys in a room, every single coach, all 14 of them, you give them all truth serum, what, what is it the, the thing that you think they are most worried about? We're all obsessed with realignment because it's hilarious and fun and it's catnip for us in the media. We're talking about name, image, and likeness, it seems like, for freaking 18 months now. What, what is it the thing that you think they care the most about? Because I'm not sure they care as much about some of that, the, the realignment stuff. No, they don't care about the realignment. I think especially these coaches here don't care about the realignment because, you know, they added Texas and Oklahoma, and in my opinion, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, the, the SEC, not, nobody here is looking to join another conference, right? They're not from schools looking to join another conference. And the things that people don't really understand is that the coaches are really not they're left in the dark about a lot of realignment, you know, decisions until it's time for them to know, uh, so to speak. So they're not driving the bus. You know, the, the realignment is one of the few things in college athletics that kind of actually rises above a coach's pay grade. Right. And because of that, you know, they are sometimes left in the dark. Now, I will say, though, uh, the NIL is just top of mind. If you if you got every single one of them in a room and I don't even think you need truth serum to do it. The NIL is top of mind, first, last, and final thing that they are worried about. Um, you know, I, I understand on both ends of the spectrum, people who say, well, they make millions of dollars, you know, I'm not going to cry about them, you know, whatever. And to be honest with you, that's not really their consternation with, with NIL. I don't think many of them, if any, would sit here and say that they don't think that the players should be paid, right? Even Saban was like, I'm all for them getting paid. Like, I, I think they're good with that. What I don't think they're good with is the recruiting inducement. And I don't think just from like a functional level, just like the amount of work that it is extra. And to an extent, I think you can empathize with that, right? Like it, it, none of them, none of them signed up 
to deal with or broker an athlete's endorsement deals. There's no other sport in the world where that happens, right? There's no, the, the, the personnel side and the coaching side in college football is so mashed together that it's going to lead to that. So, you know, yes, I understand. They make a ton of money, deal with it. But, you know, that is the thing that they are stressed, annoyed, whatever the adjective is you want to use. And, and I do understand it. So, so I guess because this is what I get. We, we have these conversations, you and I and everyone else, we have all these conversations about this, and the coaches have a lot of thoughts. Now, Saban did present a few opportunities. He's, you know, transparency, and he's the same words, uniformity. But it doesn't seem like anyone has a solution for all of these issues we're talking about that they can actually lay out. I, you know, Jack Swarbrook famously has spoken about the breakaway coming in 2035 or whatever, which strangely is coincides with the ACC grant of rights. But, like, and, you know, I just – I'm almost tired of asking about it, but do you have an opinion about where this is all going? Are we, are we headed towards a – like, my, my dream is a 70-team breakaway instead of a 40-team breakaway because my brain has already sort of come to grips with the fact that there's going to be something like that. Yeah, I think – when you start to get into the issue, you very quickly realize how interwoven NIL is with you know, any other issue in college sports. And so it comes, there is a, a cart before the horse type thinking, and I think worry and, and strife, like which one goes first, right? Um, and I think that's kind of the interesting part about it. Now, if you ask Greg Sankey, Greg Sankey continues to go down the avenue that Congress is going to give a national legislation about NIL. That's because the NCAA kind of really can't do a legislation regarding NIL. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, it, Congress. Are you being? Are you tired of being asked about it? No, no, no. It's not that. Like, look, it, it's. I understand why. Right. But with with Congress, it's. So the Republicans, I, I think, the people when you talk to people in college sports, the Republicans are are the ones who people think are most likely to give a kind of straight laced. NIL policy that doesn't really have a lot of other things involved. Uh, that, that tracks. Yes, but, uh, but it is the Democrats who I think want to add a more omnibus piece of legislation that, and rightfully so, includes mental health, potential employment, but it, things that are absolutely important, but things that get thorny when you try to add any, you know, any complexity to any legislation, you get into, you know, into the weeds and, and, and then you get into you know, infighting and all that kind of stuff in what should frankly be a bipartisan effort. So that's Oh man, repeat that one more time for the for the people <laughs> at home. Will Will Anderson was talking about this today with his own company basically saying language and verbiage and you know contracts like we're not qualified to handle that exactly. stuff. We need people to do it for us. And that's kinda of, actually that sounds like what he's building with his own company. I Sorry, Will Anderson, I forgot the name of your company. <laughs> that's E me. But it, it, I like that those people are taking it upon themselves to do it themselves because Right now, it sounds like elected officials aren't going to do anything for them. Yeah, and so I don't think Congress is going to do it um, I, now. I don't think Greg Sankey thinks this Congress is going to do it. It's what he said yesterday. Um, and so who does it fall to? Well, right now, we've got a patchwork of state laws. We've got some states that enacted laws on July 1 when NIL came online, July 1, 2021. Then over the next few months, realized, well, hey, it's not really advantageous to have laws because those laws are restrictive. And so you've got, you've got states repealing. You've got states trying to amend. You, it's all this herky-jerky, and it, toothpaste is out of the tube. And, and, you know, the NCAA, for fear of getting sued left, right, and center, which they are, and which they are losing, all the way up to the Supreme Court, nine to nothing, you can't get the Supreme Court to agree on whether the sky's blue or not. But they went unanimously against the NCAA last summer. And, and threatened more 
to come. Exactly. And, and basically said, bring it. So you understand why the NCAA is in this spot where they don't feel like they can or want to pass legislation. So long story short, that is why we have a mess. I think the most workable solution is probably conference level. But, you know, then you've got at the FBS level 10 possibly different ways of doing business. Look, it's college sports, man. We've been doing the same. We've been doing this in however many different ways for a century, as far as who's going to run this, who should run this, how do we run this, and the problems that that are associated with that. All right. So, how about some football? Can you Please. you want to talk about football? I, I didn't mean to keep you this long to talk about other things other than football, but I mean, Bama and Georgia will be the two picks, of course, in the SEC. I, if I give you Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia into the playoff right away. Who are the teams in your mind that you are considering for the four spot? Because that's where I find the toughest time is pick, picking out the fourth team. Well, I don't think Georgia's a slam dunk three. Like, I think Georgia, there is a reality where Georgia loses in the regular season and then loses in the SEC championship game and therefore does not make the playoff. Like, I don't think you can sit here and say what Georgia just lost on defense, as transcendent as that defense was, you just build it back the next year without any, you know, any drop-off. I don't think that's going to happen. Now, I think Georgia coming back to the pack means one regular season loss, right? Like, that is still very impressive for Georgia. But as far as where Georgia wants to go, they might not be able to pull that off this season. So I think three and four are relatively up for grabs this year, um, e even more so than people may think. All right, well, you didn't answer the question. That was a tremendous non-answer answer by you hey, we're talking politics and you're and you're dodging questions <laughs> like I, I love utah i like clemson i like nc state yeah. i really like baylor there's a lot of teams i don't know if any of them to your point about georgia i don't know if any of them are good enough to get through with one loss though are we seeing a two loss champ answer the question rj well i think it comes down to you, you have somebody who i don't want to say comes out of nowhere but you have somebody that you may not expect that makes a run right like michigan last year i don't think anybody thought michigan was going to make that kind of run I think you could have seen Cincinnati coming as an undefeated, but, you know, Michigan not necessarily making that run. So I think you're going to have something like that. Um, obviously, we have seen the door pride open for a group of five team to make the playoff. Potentially, there's an, I don't think it's going to be Cincinnati, but Houston could make a run. Um, obviously, USC is going to have the path. They're going to have to deal with Utah, but they are going to have the path to get there. Um, and, and so you, you have these other teams that have a workable path to get to the dance Primarily because I don't think you have four stalwart, no-brainer, you know, check them off, they're ready. I like Utah, man. I'm just going to stick with them because if they beat Florida on the road, which, is a, which, which, which they can do, yes, they can do, then that gives them a chance to lose one in the Pac-12 and then still have a good enough resume. So what about the SEC middle class? Like, let's go 3 through 11, 3 through 12. Is this the healthiest you've ever seen? Like, I can't remember a time where I came to this event and, like, almost every fan base was kind of happy. Yeah, uh, you know, I think people are really sleeping on South Carolina and what potentially Spencer Rattler can give them. If Rattler is right in a new offense, I think he's got a, a level of arm talent that is better than anybody else in the country. Uh, if it's clicking, if he's right, South Carolina is somebody who you need to be concerned with. And it's just like that. You could talk about Kentucky with Will Levis, right? You could talk about, a obviously, A&M. You, you could talk about all these middle-class teams that you're saying um, that can give a lot of people a run for their money. And that's when we talk about you know, having to be on it every week in this league if you're a Georgia, right? A Georgia who just lost that transcendent, those transcendent pieces to their defense. If you've got a middle class that can push you this year as Georgia, you've got roster attrition on one end, you've got 
better middle-class teams on the other end, that's a recipe for an upset, right? Yep. That's how you get beat or tripped up, I should say, if you're a Georgia or an A&M or whoever. Well, and Mississippi State on day number two, to me, is a team that fits that mold perfectly. Established our quarterback, a guy who's Colt, a co Mike Leach, if I could speak here, a coach who, who's been doing this for years, now year number three, tricky offense. They get Georgia at home after Georgia has two tough games. Mississippi State is right up there. I, Arkansas, I think both those teams are very, very dangerous. Yeah, it, it's going to be a fun year, I think. Um, and, and I think in a, in a sport and a league that has not had a ton of parity over the last couple of years, I'm excited to see parity this year. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, just teams beating up on each other and, and, and fun results and wacky results and results we couldn't really predict. That sounds like college football to me and why we all fell in love with it. Uh, RJ, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can read you. Uh, at RJ Writes on Twitter. I'm in the pages of Sports Illustrated on the interwebs. Uh, Split Zone Duo is the podcast. And uh, Thinking Out Loud, Monday night's SEC Network during the season. So special thanks to Richard Johnson for joining us. Uh, again, check out all the interviews on the YouTube page. Rate, review, subscribe. Special thanks to J.E. Dunn for taking care of us, of course, this week and making sure we're down here to create all this great content for you guys. Really appreciate them. One of the best places to work in America. Offices all across the Southeast. So if you're listening and you're feeling like you need a change, check them out, jedunn.com. I promise you will not be disappointed. All right, so where are these teams going to finish? Well, I'll start with Alabama and Vanderbilt. Alabama, first in the West. I'm not sure what else I'm supposed to say. They are extraordinary, and they're angry, and they're coached by the greatest coach of all time, and they have the best players in the country on offense and defense. If the corners work out and the offensive line works out, I guess they go 13-0, 14-0, 15-0, and dominate college football and win a national championship. Vanderbilt, on the other hand, same kind of deal, seventh place in the East, no real discussion here. I, I, could they win a, an SEC game for the first time since 2019? Maybe. Uh, but that's really the only debate, that they are seventh place, Sharpie, marker, do it, put it down. That, that's the deal with, with the SEC East and Vanderbilt, unfortunately. So Bama and Vanderbilt, two polar opposite ends of the prediction spectrum. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I think South Carolina is a little easier to peg. I have them at fifth in the SEC East. I have them ahead of Vanderbilt and ahead of Missouri, who's already gone. I have them at fifth, but I think they make a bowl game. I think six and six. I have been convinced that they will get to six wins and that Spencer Rattler will be the guy that helps them get there. I don't know I'm buying into this eight, nine win nonsense. That, to me, sounds very odd. So I am sticking with fifth in the East for South Carolina. Mississippi State was the hardest one on day number two to pinpoint. I will put Mississippi State in at number four in the SEC West. I had LSU at five. I've got Bama at one. You can sort of start to do the math on where I think the West is going to shake out. But I will put Mississippi State at four, but I think they go eight and four. I think they pull a couple of upsets, and I think they're a very good story at the end of the season. So I like Mississippi State a lot. The schedule is incredibly difficult, and I'll put them at number four in the West, which I think is better than most people. I think most people, I think they're going to be picked sixth when this all comes out at the end of the week. So Alabama, Vanderbilt, 
South Carolina, Mississippi State, J.E. Dunn. Special thanks to them for sponsoring all this stuff. Again, rate, review, subscribe. Check out all the podcasts. Check out all the videos. Check out the YouTube. Follow us on the socials. We're going to have some stuff planned for you guys the rest of the week. we got a lot of content coming, so don't go anywhere. we still got day number three and four to go. We'll have some great recaps, some great interviews, and hopefully some, some insight from me occasionally on the podcast. So we really appreciate you guys. Time for me to go get some whiskey. Time for me to go get some food. Y'all have a great evening, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. My name is Braden Gall, at Braden Gall on Twitter, 440 Sports, Fringe Element. Thank you, guys. Have a good one.